You are tuned in to CFUV 101.9 FM radio. The show that's on now is Notes from the Underground. Let's get back to my conversation with Jukebox Stephen. Uh, although I, I am an Andrew Sisters fan, the Dinning Sisters had this ravishing sound, and the two sopranos were twins. And one of the reasons we listen to sister groups or brother groups is there is a certain uncanny communication between the voices when siblings sing. Oh, and two of the siblings are twins. A lot of the sister acts did not depend on a ravishing sound. Like the Boswell sisters, I mean, they're swinging, they're strutting, but you, you don't come away thinking, wow, what gorgeous voices. And you don't feel that with the Andrew sisters. I'm using gorgeous in a sort of limited sense, and I guess sort of lush, pretty, yummy, surface yumminess. The Dinning sisters gave you wonderful surface yumminess, as well as nifty arrangements. And well, here, this is Aunt Hagar's blues. The twins, Jean and Ginger, and big sister Lou on alto. Sexy, so purring, and yet they were such good church girls. Seberg <laughs> Selectomatic 100. In 1952, yes. Seberg was the company that came up uh, with a hundred selections on one jukebox. The glory days of the 78s, you only had 24 songs. The Seberg brought out a jukebox that could play a hundred songs, and that really changed the industry very quickly. And the thing I love about the Seberg is the turntable. Most turntables are flat. They are horizontal. You'll see the Seberg turntable is vertical. And why? Well, the record floats. This means that gravity doesn't come into it. With most turntables, the, tur you know, the, the weight of the tone arm, and you have to go to great lengths to for equilibrium against the weight of the yeah. tone arm. Here, the record is floating. A little spring action keeps the tone arm just poised lightly against it, so there's no gravity. There's less wear on the record. And from, for someone who loves to watch the records and to watch the needle in the record, See, this brings the turntable right up to eye level, and you can see the needle Fascinating. floating, and, and, you know, that's just and, so much fun. And Stevens opened up this, by the way, that was that noise you heard, and we're looking right into the mechanism and the vertical turntable. You call it a turntable? Yes. Yeah. My fascination with music as a child was very much part of the record player, especially with 78s, because you can, it's almost fast enough that you can see the tone arm move. So anyway, everything about the movement fascinated me. So as a child, these great big jukeboxes, you know, lit up. It started out as the, the wanting to revisit that childhood nostalgia of color and movement, and it's like being on a fairground, it's like a little Ferris wheel. But then when I got one and I began to realize, wow, this is time travel. This is, uh, the first jukebox I got was in 1952. Beautiful. All this out of that 
fridge-sized jukebox. <laughs> yeah, I, I always get a kick when I think of, uh, you know, you compare the iPod, which weighs yeah. nothing, you know, size of a postage stamp to one of these things. Now, you love jazz piano, right? I do. Okay, so that, uh, Oscar Peterson, he's 20 years old, 1945. This is the B side of his first ever record. The A side was I Got Rhythm. B side was Shake of Araby and Fasten Your Seatbelts. Stephen, thank you so much for introducing me and hopefully everybody else to this wonderful part of music in our world, the jukebox. Ah, it was a great pleasure for me. Hi, I'm Jim, host of Blues in the Morning. Welcome to Notes from the Underground. A couple of years ago, we interviewed Professor Thomas M. Kitts from St. John's University in New York. Tom is a teacher. He uh, is the editor or co-editor of two academic journals about pop music. He's edited large volumes such as Rutledge's Companion to Humor and Popular Music. He's written two academic biographies of rock musicians. Well, three now. Uh, Dave da uh, Ray Davies from The Kinks and John Fogarty from Creedence Clearwater Revival. His new book is just out, and it is a biography of Richard Furry. Can you tell us... Uh, oh, welcome, Tom. I should say oh, that. Oh, thank you, Jim. It's great to be back. I always enjoy our discussions together. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's great to, great to hear you. Um, can you tell us something about Richard Furry? I should say Richard Furry is often understood to be the voice of Neil Young in uh, many of the yeah. early Buffalo Springfield uh, songs, but it's... Uh, they're Neil's songs, but uh, Richie's uh, vocals. Yeah, because they didn't think Neil could sing. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't like his voice. Yeah. This is not, it's not, the word I think they use is he's not AM friendly. Not AM friendly, yes. Not AM friendly. So if you can't get on the AM radio and have a hit single, we got to have someone else sing these songs. And Richie has always been a gifted vocalist. Yeah. And he really found his vocal stride in the Springfield. Neil Young's behavior in Buffalo Springfield. Richie seems very tolerant. Uh, can you explain why? Yeah, he is very tolerant. He's more tolerant of uh, others than they are of him sometimes. Uh, some people would open up and tell me some things about him. But Richie would really, very really, rarely speak negatively about anybody. He'd say things like, well, you know, it was a long time ago. People change. People were different. You know, that kind of thing. He would never really, he never attacked anybody. And with Neil Young, boy, that guy just drove stills, him, 
Palmer and Dewey Martin insane. Yeah. And and Richie really never really spoke out. I mean, Young left to Springfield like I think three times. Uh, you know? yeah. He was always in and out, and he always had to adjust. You know, to going on the stage and Monterey Pop, and you know, just right before then, he practically you know a couple weeks before he drops out of the band. That's right. a major gig. He was very tolerant of, of him, and even with the Buffalo Springfield reunion, and I think it was 2011. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, they had. They did like 10 or 11 dates, I forget, it's in the book. And they had another 30-something planned, including what I was looking forward to was a, a stint at Radio City Music Hall oh, in New yeah. York. And he backed out. Yeah. And Stills, Stills was really mad and, and spoke openly about it. Um, Richie said, you know, what are you going to do? It's Neil. Yeah. Neil being Neil. But, you know, as, as they both point out, the whole crew, you had 30-something people hired for this these 30 yeah. dates. And they, he just dropped out because as he said I didn't want to play those old songs yeah so he called uh, a band you know he went out on the road again and played those old songs with another band I want to thank you for doing this and and all the work you put into uh, you know the legitimizing of pop music in the academic world I think is really important okay very good okay great Tom talk to you soon much appreciated okay bye bye Thanks for listening. Notes from the Underground, an occasional show right here on CFUV 101.9 FM. Catch us if you can.